Hey, sister, welcome back to the Your Sorority Journey podcast. Quick temperature check for you as we start. How have you seen the commitments around diversity inclusion play out in the sorority community since they were made last summer? I think it is so important to reassess how we are living out what we said we would when all the attention, all of the pressure was on us. I know that the sorority communities carried a lot of that weight and held a lot of responsibility and have been making substantial action to really move the needle in the area of diversity and inclusion and make the members and future members know that any woman who identifies as a woman is welcome there. I am so excited, regardless of where you are at in your sorority journey, regardless of where you're at on your DEI journey, I'm thankful that you tuned in today to hear from two of our rock star sister friends who are doing this work and have some really valuable insight and encouragement to share with you today. Nikki Rowlett and Tamika Austin are on a greater team that was started last summer called the Parallel Agency. Parallel is an organization that's seeking to help Panhellenic groups align what they say they do with what they actually do, especially in the area of diversity, inclusion, and equity. If this is something that you have been struggling to navigate or watched your chapters struggle to sustain, you are in the right place today and should check out the Parallel Agency after this episode. I am confident that wherever you're at, you will leave this conversation feeling encouraged and motivated to continue the work that you felt so motivated by last summer. Here's my conversation with Nikki and Tamika. Hey sister, Cassie Little here to welcome you to your sorority journey, a podcast for sisters to find guidance and confidence in any season of their membership. Our rock star guests and I have intentional conversations, discuss unpopular topics, and provide relevant encouragement to be an extension of your sisterhood. So thanks for inviting us on your journey. Are you ready to dive in? Well, hey, sisters, welcome to the Your Sorority Journey podcast. Thanks for taking some time to chat with me tonight. Cassie. Yes. I'm happy to be here. Yes. Virtually. Love it. (laughs) So how are you all feeling? This is, we obviously are recording on inauguration day. Like what kind of emotions, where are people at today? A lot of feelings. It's a lot of feelings. There's, there's joy that's happening, but there's also this feeling of like, what's tomorrow look like? How did like, and today I had to allow myself to feel a whole bunch of things. Um, so I can't even give you like one specific feeling. There's a few things happening, um, but joy is definitely there, but also just like, okay, let's, let's keep going. Like, <laughs> let's not stop, yeah. you know, our end all be all. So. Anticipation, <laughs> right? Like what's yes. going to happen next? Absolutely. Yeah. I think for, for me personally, one of the things is, you know, I'm feeling joy, but I'm also feeling like this isn't just a flick of a switch. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've got some major work to do in this country. Um, And I'm looking forward to being on a path that I think can help get us there. But by no means do I think that this is an end all be all. Um, I'm ready for the work to get started. I got the same enthusiasm that I did yesterday, probably a bit more. Uh, So I'm just excited to be in a space where I feel um, like some of that can be matched based upon some of the aura and vibe that we're feeling in this country. And 
I, I want to give a shout out to Kamala Harris, you know, first women VP, mm-hmm. first black women VP, first biracial woman VP. This yes. is amazing. It's an amazing time in our country. And NPHC member. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Shout out to Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. We yes. love them. Yes. I love it. Well, thanks for just giving us a little temperature check on how you all are doing. I want us to jump in though, allow our audience to get to know each of you. And as we do with every episode, we'd lo- I'd love for you to introduce yourselves and walk us through your sorority journey, what joining your chapter meant for you and where it has brought you today. Absolutely. Um, Nikki, you want to put me on the spot? Like first I'm here for it. Um, it's funny because I don't feel like I tell my story a lot. But it's oh, one really? that, like, anytime I do, I'm like, that happened. Oh, that that definitely happened. Um, it's so a lot I, to look back on when you get farther removed. You're like, it is, wow. it is, especially when I say my graduation year. But um, I joined yes. Delta Phi Epsilon sorority at Bloom's Lake University, which is in Central Pennsylvania, um, and I joined in 2011, which is like that makes it 10 years this year. Um, And so I joined and I always talk to folks and I tell them I went through um, the recruitment process twice. Um, As a black woman, um, the first time I went through the recruitment process, I didn't see myself. Um, I was on a campus where there were not a lot of divine nine sororities um, and I didn't really see myself just in that process in general. And so when I went through the second time, I, I saw some women who, you know, it felt like I would be accepted. It felt like a good fit. It felt like home. I met a lot of them through my um, my major at college and it just felt amazing. And so um, two days after we started our new member process, um, I was in a car accident, a pretty bad car accident. And so I understood sisterhood and I still understand it through that lens of like wow. going through this process, being on a campus that is like pretty hilly and I was in physical therapy, all of these things. Um, and my sisters had to come through, like they, they had to come through. Um, and so I, that's how I understand sisterhood. And that was like my introduction into sisterhood. Um, the first few days feeling like a burden, but really having folks like go out of their way to make sure that I was supported throughout the process. Um, and also the folks who were already in the sorority expecting nothing less. And that was just, that's something that I rarely talk about, but it's also something that like, I could never say thank you enough to the women who um, I joined with. Um, for DeFi at um, Bloomsburg University. And so that was my start into sisterhood um, where I've been now. And because of it, I've learned so much. Um, I come from a family where it's like family first, families, everything. I learned how to be a friend within um, DeFi at my chapter. Um, but I also learned how to just kind of grow with people. Um, I always talk about in grad school, having fallen out with sisters and then coming back to the table to say like, okay, we got to figure this out. Like that, that wasn't a part of my journey growing up um, because I knew friendship through um, my family. And so I just, I learned so much professionally and personally. And even to this day, my sisters are some of my biggest supporters. Um, I am a entrepreneur. I do a lot of philanthropy work. Um, and at any given moment, I can count on them to just come through for me. So that's like a kind of like an abbreviated version, but one that um, as I talk about it and as I like reflect back on my experience, I'm like, it's one I wouldn't trade for the world, um, especially because it led me to working with Nikki as well <laughs> a lot and, you know, learning about her and being able to, you know, just show up as a sister for her and have her show up for me as well. Um, even though we were at different chapters, 
different places in the world, different time zones, all that fun stuff. Um, we somehow found each other and we've been able to connect um, through that work. So I'll turn it over to Nikki. Yes. So I actually met Tamika online. I met Tamika online in our Facebook group and she had posted and said, <laughs> hey folks, I'm doing a session. Uh, and if you want to come, here's the information. So I was on the way back from uh, an event with my significant other and we tuned into Tamika's session in the, in the car. So that first, yes, that was my first yes. glimpse of Tamika. And then I said, I got to follow up with her. We got to actually be friends. So that's what happened a couple months back. Mm -hmm. Now let's kind of take you back and park it all the way to 2008. 2008, 2008. That's when I joined Delta Phi Epsilon uh, at Central Michigan. Go fire up chips. Shout out to Beta Phi. I uh, didn't really you know. You are not the first Central Michigan grad <laughs> that we've had on the podcast. I've actually been to Mount Pleasant, yes. uh, Michigan, of all places in the country. <laughs> so I went to Central Michigan because my mom did. Um, and there were a few schools and I was like, you know, maybe I should just follow in my mom's footsteps. And I did. So uh, I went to Central Michigan and I kind of came on campus and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And my mom encouraged me to get involved in something. And she kept sending me all this stuff, y'all. She kept sending me like all of these um, pictures and stuff about like, oh, what about this? And it was like student government and like the swim team and all of this stuff. She was, she was being an, an awesome mom. So then she sends me the sorority stuff. And I'm like, man, I don't really know about that. And she's like, okay, just sign up, sign up. So she sends me the $35, you know, and she's like, just do it, do it, do it. So the first day I come and I'm like, nah, I'm not really feeling this. Second day, not really feeling it. Um, and I had missed the first weekend. So by the time, you know, I was done, you know, I only had one, one more day. They were like preference round here, here we go. So I, I show up to preference round and I'm a little overwhelmed, but I meet these two people, Laura and Elena, and they changed my life. And so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't really know what chapter I wanted to join. I just know that I really liked them as people. So we were walking over to the computer lab to do our selections. And I was like, so what are you going to join? So what are you going to join? And they both were like, I think I'm going to go DeFi E. And I was like, cool, me too. So that's how I joined. Um, I met some really cool new members and we just all made the decision together. So oh, I love that story. Yeah. So when people are like, you know, I don't really know if my heart's in it. I was like, it will grow. Um, it, it will grow. In it. And, and that's exactly what it did for me. I joined mm. as a freshman who had no idea what sorority was. And it has grown to be a, a key part of my life and a key part of who I am. And a lot of the work that I do with people surrounds the sorority experience and how I'd like to shape it for our future members. So uh, I, you know, served in a ton of roles as an, as an undergrad and about my junior year decided, hey, maybe I should just go to school to figure out how to do this full time. I thought our Greek advisor was like a volunteer person or something. I didn't really understand that, right? <laughs> and then when I realized it was an actual job, I was okay, let's do it, right? Let's just do sign it. Sign me up, yeah. <laughs> sign me up. So yeah, so, you know, just thinking about some of those pieces and how Delta Phi Epsilon has shaped me, how my, pan how, how my Panhellenic experience has shaped me. Um, I 
pay a lot of tribute to those experiences to who I am now. Um, and I still am involved within the organization and uh, really involved within the Panhellenic sphere because I think it's important that we as alumna members remain committed to the organizations and how we can help foster some really good future experiences for other folks. So that's, that's a little bit about my journey and kind of who I am. And I'm so glad that you asked that because it, it, it got me to go all the way back to 2008. It's, it's humbling, right? When you go back to the beginning, I mean, I have been a fired up Sigma Kappa since I feel like bid day, right? But I remember there being a time during recruitment that I felt so lost and I did not have a strong sense of direction. I felt like a lot of the options were taken away from me. I didn't grow up in the state of Arizona, so I didn't really have a grasp on what I was doing. And I kind of like your story, Nikki, I like fell in love with my recruitment counselor. I was like, I don't know what chapter she's in, but I just want to be in the same community as her. And so I told myself, okay, I want to, I fell in love with Panhellenic before I fell in love with Sigma Kappa, a hundred percent. And it's so important, I think, to remember back to those times before we had these letters and we had this like badge of purpose and these volunteer positions that gave us like a role to serve back when we like just wanted to belong, because I think it can really help us be back in the shoes of the women who we see a future in our organizations, right? Like they just want to belong. They don't know what a Panhellenic coordinator for district three is, right? Like they don't get that. They just know that there's these letters on these houses on a campus that they've been at for like a week that one of them might have a sisterhood for them, right? I don't know. I just think back to that and it's really fun to hear how other people found, how other women found their home because- it takes us back. It's really good to remember. Yeah. Yeah. So you all started an agency this year called the Parallel Agency. Popped up out of nowhere on the Instagram. I'd love to okay. hear more. <laughs> Obviously, I have gotten a glimpse of the work that you all are doing and gotten to hear your heart, Nikki, but let's share it with my audience. I'm so, so excited about this. Tell us what the Parallel Agency is. Yeah, yeah. So about 18 months back, I was in this space where I really wanted to create something where Panhellenic sororities could talk about critical topics like equity and access and belonging. You know, I had been in spaces at professional conferences for years prior to that, talking about these topics with professionals and students. And I just always felt like the conversations were so meaningful. But after the sessions were over, it was done. There was, you know, people's passions or energies were just gone. Um, And, you know, people were like, hey, this session was great. But then we kind of went back to whatever they were doing beforehand. And I've always felt like this was just something that I really wanted to focus on um, and something that I've really kind of centered the work around um, in my professional career and personal life. So about 18 months back, I said, I think I need to start something. And at first it was just me. It was Nikki alone in this room, like I, 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 uh, because I had had all of these experiences and I had some really pivotal conversations with some people in fraternity and sorority life. And it made me reflect 
about who I am, the kind of privileges that I have, how those experiences have shown up and helped me make meaning of this work. And I started to think about what a we could look like. So initially I filed for an LLC in the parallel agency so that I could do some work in this area as a consultant and be paid for that work. If I'm being honest, right? A lot of people are like, I had this vision and these storyboards. Nope, that's what it was. And then <laughs> I had some reflection. I'm impressed. I ran my company for like five months before I registered as an LLC. So like, you know, power to I, just, I just had some reflection and I thought, how can I live out the equity work that I want to help teach other people about and instill in other people in a way that makes meaning in this organization? So I sat on it for like three months and I did a lot of reflection. I thought a lot about a lot of things. And this is why I wanted to have my sister Tamika on this call because it was not until that car ride when I said to myself, Nikki, we could build a team with a bunch of people like Tamika. And this wow. could be a thing. And we, could, <laughs> and we could help make moves in this mm. industry in a way that does not exist now. We could help curate a movement as it relates to this work. So over the summer of 2020, I started building on our team and focusing on like, what do we wanna be? What kind of group do we wanna be? What are the types of things? And I would love to get into that later, but story time for me is this has been such a reflective experience as it relates to what this is. And I've also loved to see how this has grown and shaped into what it is now. So, you know, eight months ago, we were starting out and we had a little two page PDF, right? Now we've got a full team. We've got a website and Instagram, and we worked with almost 15,000 people in 2020. So thinking about how, you know, I'm in my living room with those big post-it notes, try to think about me, me, me. And then all of a sudden I do some reflection. I have some pivotal conversations. I listen to some awesome people like Tamika speak on the way home in my car. Now we're at this place where this is just something that I never imagined that it would be. And we are getting to make some real change in the lives of real people. And it's, it's just felt awesome. So it means a lot to me to be able to be here. And it means a lot to me to be able to be here with my sister, Tamika, um, so that we can have these pivotal conversations and talk about the work that, that we're doing. Yeah. So Tamika, you find out that Nikki is listening to you in her car. <laughs> what did that conversation look like? Like, how did you get roped in to be like on this team? Yeah. So roped in is of... not like the term. Like, I know you aren't here like <laughs> begrudgingly, right? You're excited to be no, here, but like, how did you find your role? <laughs> did not force you. <laughs> um, so the call she probably just made you when... feel amazing. And you're like, I can't say no. I know every single call we have, like the first five minutes, I'm like, oh my gosh, who's this person she's talking about? How is it me? Um, but no, uh, I, on that call, I hosted, I wanted to host a space for DeFi sisters specifically because so much was happening over the summer. And as a black woman in a predominantly white organization, a lot of conversations don't get had. And there's mm. not always places where specifically white women can come and say, I don't know. 
Um, and because I am less offended by I don't know, um, I wanted to host the space. So it was like a pay as you wish. Um, I had, I think maybe 20 to 30 sisters on the call and I knew Nikki was joining the call. I knew about Nikki before she joined the call. Um, and so when she joined and she gave some feedback on the call and then she was like, hey, I wanted to reach out. I had this idea. Um, and when it came about, I was like, we're about to do what? Like I did a lot of work with DeFi-E. I didn't necessarily do a lot of work with all of Greek life. Um, in grad school, I did stuff with my chapter. After that, I did work in higher ed a little bit, but I never thought of myself as like, I need to be attached to Greek life to do this work. Um, and I feel like Nikki kind of helped me to reimagine what that looked like, but also pull me back into like the folks that I adore. Like I think within the Greek system, like there's so much leadership here. There's so much, there's so many questions that we don't always get the space to answer. Um, and so when she told me about what she wanted to do, I was like, of course I'll do it. Like I can do equity work all day, I'm doing it. Um, but when we joined like the first call and when I started to see the vision come out, it's like, oh no, we're really doing this. Like when I, when we're talking to universities, like me and Nikki are constantly figuring out our time zone. Today I had to text her again, like time zone, where are we at? What are we doing? Who are we working with? Um, and honestly, it's a beautiful thing. It's like being able to have pivotal conversations and giving undergrads specifically the tools that we didn't, I per in particular did not have. People told me, you know, don't haze, don't do this, don't do that. But they yeah. never how to ask questions and how to say, I don't know. And I feel like with Parallel, we get to do that. We, we allow students a space to say like, I don't know what I'm doing. You, you got to give me some more here. <laughs> um, and I think as an organization, it's just, it's been fun. It's been exciting, um, especially working with the other um, teammates and learning from them and the amazing things that they're doing. I'm talking to multiple people a week about the same work and it feels consistent. It feels necessary. Mm -hmm. And it feels like we're making an impact. And when you talk about 15,000 people and like a span of a few months, like that's a lot. Like that is huge. Yeah. Um, and it means that critical conversations are happening within fraternity and sorority life. And somehow it happened because of Nikki, right? <laughs> it happened because of this idea. It happened because of this connection. Um, and it's really beautiful to be a part of. Yeah, so many beautiful things about this, by the way. One, I want to dive into like where the your passion for this work originated and where you both kind of found your voice in the diversity and inclusion space. But I do want to comment on the fact that I think beautiful things can happen when we realize shared passions and shared values in our sisters and say, I know that I have this passion. I know I have this value, but I know how much stronger it could be and how much more of an impact I could have when I share that with someone else. I think often, like you're saying, Nikki, it was like a me, me, me thing. Like this is Nikki's plan, but when it becomes a shared plan, it's like, wow, now we have like a network of sisters to operate off of. And I think that's just so reflective of like the power of our sisterhood at the collegiate level too, right? Like an officer having an idea, if she holds that all to herself, it can't make as great of an impact as if she gets her committee, she gets the other officer, she gets her team on board. So mm -hmm. it's so it's so cool to hear you guys talk about that like sisterhood network at the alumni level because you are learning those skills in college, right? Like it is preparation for the real world. <laughs> I don't know, it gets me excited, you know? Like I think it's the any opportunity 
that I have to relate skills that you need in the real world to the collegiate experience and like prove the like transferable skills that you're able to cultivate as an undergrad. I don't know. I think it just like proves the value of sorority at like a really tangible level, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's hard to measure belonging, you know, it's hard to measure sisterhood, but the power of a network and the way that shows up in your professional life is more measurable anyways. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A little soapbox, but Okay, both of you are so passionate about the work that you do, and it just shows like through this Zoom screen, which our listeners won't have access to. So would you share with me like where your passion originated? Yeah, um, I think mine, I specifically tie it to me being a Black woman, um, and specifically a Black queer woman. And so and undergrad, like Nikki talked about being on leadership team, I was not that member. Like I was showing up to meetings, sitting in the back, like what you need me to do this week? Um, what volunteer event you need me at? Like I, I placed it pretty low key when I was um, in my chapter. And so um, a lot of my work came from my experiences, like attending a PWI, it's confusing. It's very confusing. Um, I'm from Philadelphia, large city to go to the small town. Bloomsburg is the only official town in Pennsylvania. Um, having that experience was confusing and I needed to conceptualize it. I needed to make sense of it because I was doing things like, you know, I was natural and people talking about my hair or um, I, I had a sorority sister who she had never went to school with a Black woman before um, and never had a Black person in her class. And she talked about that. And I was having all of these conversations and I didn't know what they meant. I didn't know if it meant that I was supposed to be a part of this sisterhood or I was not. Um, and that's no dig to any of my sorority sisters because we all had to learn through that process. But I didn't know who do I talk to about this? How do I make sense of it? When I tell other people who's not in you know, the sorority world, will they even understand? Um, and I'm also a first generation college student. And so my family did not understand. They were like, what are you doing? Um, and I, I always tell the story of when we had our convention in Disney, I went to Disney for the first time um, there was a picture posted of me on Facebook and my grandmother like called me and was like, are you the token black girl? Cause she couldn't find me in the picture. It was, if you see the picture, you'll be like, yeah, I can't find you either. Um, but it, it was that type of experience where I had no understanding, but my, you know, my grandmother is a Southern woman, a Southern Baptist woman. She didn't understand what I was doing. Um, my family members, um, didn't understand because I was just first generation college student. And so I had so many questions and no answers. And I think I sought those answers in number one, student affairs professionals at my university. Um, And they helped me to kind of get a lot of that. But when they helped me to get some of the answers, they told me to start to speak about it. (laughs) It was like, speak about your experience. Um, I'm a person who processes out loud and I know that. And I knew that. And so as I was (laughs) learning a lot of like, okay, what does this mean? What does it mean to be a black woman in a predominantly or historically Um, white sorority to be on a predominantly white campus, I had to start to figure it out by speaking about it. Um, And that's to say that I definitely made mistakes in speaking about it. Um, I had a lot of learning curves that I had to go through, but I found my voice in being able to say, this is just my experience and I need to name it. Um, And I do believe that naming it allowed other people to say, okay, Tamika, that was your experience. This is how I experienced it as well, or differently from you. And we started to have conversations. And so 
um, that's a lot of how it came about for me. I don't have like this one pivotal moment, but I remember being on a college campus and being confused, like highly confused about what was happening to me and how I was experiencing things um, outwardly. And so that's where my voice came from. I had a lot of folks pour into me. Um, I had folks tell me when I was wrong, which was beautiful <laughs> and helpful. Um, I got to learn, I would say, um, in a pretty safe um, and loving way that I don't know that we always foster with folks who are going through their collegiate experience right now. And that's why even as a Black woman who experiences the world differently than a lot of my you know, sorority sisters, I still want people to be able to learn. Um, because folks allowed me to learn. I did not get everything right. I was not saying all the right words. Like I was not, I didn't know what this diversity stuff and having to have all of the, you know, the shared language, things like that. I didn't know what all that meant. Um, but folks did, you know, allow me to, and they created spaces for me to kind of go through that process. So that's where I got started. I got started in undergrad, honestly. Um, I worked previously um, before undergrad, I worked in education. My grandmother was an administrator. Um, for a private school. And so culture was a big part of my upbringing, but I think in a sense it stopped when I got to that collegiate level because a lot of my family members couldn't specifically relate to what I was experiencing. They didn't know why I didn't join a Divine Nine. They didn't know why I didn't go to an HBCU. Um, and I had to kind of find a lot of those answers for myself. And I did that through working with mentors um, and being able to be a mentee in a lot of those spaces. Thank you so much for sharing. I think, I hope for women of color who listen to the podcast, they're super inspired by your story. And if they haven't found their voice yet, maybe they now have some ideas of people that they could reach out to or start to have conversations with, or just get a little more comfortable, like trying, like you said, you made some mistakes when you started. <laughs> and I think for women navigating this regardless of where they fall there there's a fear of making mistakes and saying the wrong thing whether it's their experience or an experience they're trying to understand and so I really thank you for opening it up and like being vulnerable to say like hey like I made some mistakes to give women the freedom to process as they need to Nikki yeah how did I find my voice in this work if I'm being honest I think I still am I think I am still in a space where I'm still trying to develop uh, and solidify what my voice is in this work. And I think, you know, that question lends really well to how the parallel agency was built out. So, you know, at first I'm thinking, you know, Nikki, you've got these ideas, you've got some of these pieces about how we can make the fraternity and sorority experience more equitable, more inclusive, so why don't you just run with that? And I've just been doing a lot of reflection, particularly over the past year about like, what does it look like to be the author of my own story? Shout out to Tamika and her reflection book. Um, I gotta like, get this book. <laughs> you gotta get the book. You gotta get the book, okay? It's a life-changing book and we will talk about it at the we'll end. We'll link it in the show link, notes. Man. Yeah, we'll make sure. Got this it. Is, this is good. Start the conversation started before we hit record. So I'll make sure that anyone listening will know where to get this. Yes, but just reflection, I think, and how you find your voice in this work is so vital. You know, as, as a white cisgender human being who has access to parents who are pretty financially well off, I hold privilege in a lot of spaces. And 
starting in like the middle school, high school space, I started to see some things in the world and like question those things. Sometimes I would question them internally. Sometimes I would make comments to my family or friends and there was never really an answer. It was just an acknowledgement, like, thanks for bringing that up. In some spaces, it was thanks for making it awkward. And I wanna note that in those spaces, it was predominantly people who had similar experiences to me. So financially well-off, cisgendered white people. And I started to pose some questions that I think made a lot of people around me really uncomfortable. And I wasn't getting answers from those people. So I just started to outsource. And before Google was as technologically savvy as it is now, back in those days, we used to have internet dial-up. So we used to dial up to the desktop and I used to search random things. You know, I'd hear things if I'm like, you know, listening to music or I'm watching a show or something and I'd hear like different words or phrases. I think the first time I heard the word systematic racism was in love and basketball. So I searched that word because I didn't know what it was. I was like, okay, I know that racism is bad. In my mind, I'm thinking, I know that's bad, but I never heard the word systematic racism. What, what does that mean? So I began to do my own work. And in a lot of how I have found my voice has been listening to the stories and lived experiences of other people. I think a lot of times, and I will speak from my experience as a white person specifically, I think it's hard to find footing and can be hard to find footing in this DEI space. As a white person who gets paid to speak on some of these topics, I still struggle with that. And I want to make note, right? Because I think a lot of times people are like, oh, you've hit the marker. You're doing this professionally. Go you. You're great. I'm still struggling with how do I find my voice? How do I solidify that, that voice? How do I make meaning of that voice in a way that is helpful and not harmful? And in a way that takes up space that is necessary, but not impeding on other people. Mm, so good. So over the past couple of years specifically, I've been focusing a lot on like, what does equity mean to me? And how do I make meaning of that in my own lived experience? I think I've, you know, really grasped this concept of diversity as it relates to people of different lived experiences. I think I grasped that early on in my middle school, high school years, this level of what does it look like to be inclusive, I think was my college journey. So how do I help, you know, be more inclusive in spaces that I'm in or organizations or in my job and my classes, whatever. So that was really my focus. And now in my, what I would call my second adult life, right? Um, I'm just really focused on like, what is equity work and how, do, and how does that show up in my life? And how do I continuously work through that? So I think, you know, how I found my voice, I think it's still coming. I think it's a voice in training, but I will say that I, I, am, I am proud of the self-work that I've been able to do, but I do want to know that it hasn't been easy. I think a lot of times, you know, reflecting on some of the privileges that I hold and, you know, some of the positions that I have and some of the things that maybe I have either been a bystander of or have said or did myself, you know, things that I'm not necessarily proud of. So reflecting on some of those pieces and, you know, going back and forth between this concept of 
fragility reflection, fragility reflection, uh, savior reflection, savior, mm. fra fragility, fragility reflection. And I feel like I, I, I go between a lot of those pretty fluidly. So thinking about, you know, how that makes meaning for me as a, as a 30 year old human, you know, I think this is a, this is a never ending journey and this work doesn't stop. And that's one of the reasons why we built the parallel agency, the way that we built it is because we want to focus on long lasting and sustainable change in a way that impacts the lives of people, not just in a way that checks your box. So you can fill out your accreditation stuff or not just in a way where, you know, you can yeah. say we did this experience or we put it on Instagram. So people think that we're not racist or yeah. we're not whatever. Right. Um, I think we've been really intentional in a lot of the things that have shaped the way that the parallel agency shows up in the world. I think it's just a testament to like my personal story and the way that we have kind of helped make meaning of that with other folks and their stories in a way that makes sense for them. So yeah, this, 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 this voice question and this story question is always so interesting to me because I think about it and I feel like people are like, what's your answer? And I'm like, I don't know that I have one, you know? Well, you know, I actually can relate to that feeling about still trying to find your voice in the work that you do. And especially in the diversity, equity and inclusion space, you know, People, when they find my podcast, do a quick scroll. It doesn't take long to get toward a lot of the episodes we had last summer around racial injustice, specifically in the sorority space and the responsibility of our organizations. As Tamika mentioned, conversations that were we weren't having regularly or publicly, at least in the sorority space. And I think I felt a lot of pressure being like, a business owner in that time for how do I respond because I care about this, but how do I do this in a way that's not checking a social box, checking a box to my followers, to my community, that this is something we care about, but actually having intentional conversations around. And Nikki, I love what you said about how your voice has been found in the lived experiences of others. And that's kind of the approach I feel like I've taken is by having women who have lived this experience specifically around, um, yeah, being a woman of color in a predominantly white organization, that's not an experience I can speak to. So how can I, how can I elevate those voices mm -hmm. on a platform that women might not be looking for that, but need to hear that. And so it, it was interesting hearing you talk about that because I relate to that having created a company that doesn't focus on that, if that makes sense. Listening to you both talk, I thought it was really interesting how some of the most formative uh, time in like cultivating this passion and finding your voice or learning about what this meant to you came in college. And mm -hmm. that's the audience that you are serving through the parallel agency. I'd love to hear like what either you all are learning about how, how to best equip collegiate women to have these hard conversations, to be comfortable saying, I don't know, I'm diving into this and kind of taking down that sense of, I need to have all the answers because I'm a leader or because this is something my organization cares about. How are you all approaching that knowing that that is a time that you were able to 
like kind of peel back the layers yourself and learn about what this, I don't know, what this work was going to mean to you or like how you formed opinions in that time, if that makes sense. It does. I think the one, there's a few things that makes me think about. The first thing is like doing this work when because of COVID and doing it like virtually is a different world. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was in college, it was like they paid a speaker to come and talk to you. And if you raise your hand, everybody knew the question was yours. And so it was very different. And it wasn't always a space where you could ask the question, where you could say, I don't know, where you could learn unless you had done the personal work beforehand. However, because we're doing a lot of these via Zoom, people will chat me privately, they'll chat Nikki privately, and then we get to elevate their voice in their in that space. And I bet nine times out of 10, someone else is thinking the same thing. And so being able to meet folks where they are and say like, it's okay if you don't know. I really don't think we've done that enough. Um, there's a lot of pressure. Like I'm a very proud millennial. Like I, I love being a millennial. I love our like age group. I think we've done amazing things. And I don't think we have, elevated the, the voices of folks who are coming after us enough to say, it's okay not to know. We're like, there's Google. You should know this. You should be doing this. You should have this statement mm. in your bio. And we've, we've been very prescriptive with how we talk to people without taking into account necessarily the fact that we didn't learn that way either. And so I think that that's a major thing for me is being able to receive a chat from somebody and they say like, Tamika, I don't know this thing. And my facial expression is not like, why am I getting this question again? It's like being able to say, hey, Nikki, can you take this? Because I don't know if I have the capacity to answer it. Um, But also being forthcoming. um, I think another point that's really important in this work is mental health. And so being forthcoming and talking about the fact that like the amount that we are consuming because we're expecting everybody to Google everything is a lot. I don't expect anybody to come to a training knowing anything or everything. And when they get to that space, I expect that I can assist them in their journey. I'm not the stopping point. I may, that conversation may be the starting point, which is okay, but it's not the stopping point. And so making equity work more personal has also assisted in people just being able to casually learn. Um, And I think that we have to create more spaces for casual learning, um, especially making sure that like our folks in the collegiate space just get the opportunity. I have done so many things wrong. (laughs) Um, I remember I was a graduate assistant for a multicultural um, affairs office. And I was using terminology that was so outdated, even as a graduate assistant. Um, And my supervisor at the time was helping me to learn, was giving me the tools and the resources I needed to start to research on my own. And it was never shameful. I never felt ashamed. Um, that looks different for my experiences as a black queer woman, and I will name that outright. Um, but I think also folks like Nikki have created the support system to be able to grow. And so, um, being able to do that in such a way that doesn't cause harm to other people, um, is really important, but just overall, like just let people learn. Um, but there's not a lot of opportunities to do that. Yeah. So this virtual space, I mean, I want to echo so many things that, that Tamika said, because I think they're so vital. I think for me, one of the things on top of some of those Zoom pieces and the conversation pieces and the way for us to think about things differently, if there's one thing that I've really reflected on over the past six or eight months, it is this concept of just because you're well-intended doesn't mean you're well-informed. 
And so many of the members that we work with are well intended. I mean, they're reaching out to us. They're saying, hey, can you come in and do this? Can you come and do that? So backstory, and if, if you see our social media, you'll recognize this, but we don't do one-offs. So we're not gonna come to a chapter and do a training or a keynote session and be like, peace out, thank, thanks for having us. We only work with organizations and councils and chapters who are willing to invest in a strategy. So for us, that means three or more things. So we have people coming to us who are saying, okay, so we can do maybe a culture assessment, some group coaching, you know, let's do some training with the recruitment counselors, or I want to do an online primer with our new member eds or whatever. I mean, we've got folks who are coming to us and they are hungry for mm -hmm. information to help be, be more well, well equipped in this area, but also just to think differently. And we have had so many pivotal moments with students as it relates to, hey, maybe I was well-intended, but I'm not sure I was well-informed. So, you know, I'm pushing this. I'm wondering why I'm getting pushback from people in my chapter or my alumni or whatever. And, you know, some of that pushback is good pushback and some of it's not so good, right? But tradition-based or, yeah. <laughs> yes. So like, but thinking about, you know, how we've made meaning of that with students and helping people be more informed, you know, seeing things from a different perspective, instead of saying, hey, I'm this person in my chapter who feels really passionately about LGBTQ inclusion. And I want to focus on, you know, recognizing things on social media and changing our policies and procedures. I mean, we get people that are on fire, right? Coming to us saying, what can we do? Here's all of our ideas, et cetera, et cetera. And then we're having conversations about, I think that you are using your voice to tell other people's stories. And people are like, oh yeah right yeah and there, hard and, truth and there is this notion about like i was so well intended and what i wanted to happen was i think the right thing but the impact that i had i think wasn't that so we spend a lot of time in that space as it relates to how can you be well-intended and well-informed? And I think this Zoom atmosphere has allowed us to approach that in different ways. I mean, I think there's just a lot of speaking companies and organizations and people out there that are saying, I can do a training, I can do a peer-to-peer -peer institute, you know, I can do all these things. And we're out here saying, what are the problems you want to address and how can we help you do, do that? And I think this, this virtual space has really allowed for that as it relates to like coaching and group learning and reflection on a Netflix show or, you know, whatever, thinking about some of those things. But I honestly feel like we have thrived in a virtual space in a way that I did not think was possible. I mean, <laughs> Our team rocks it. Our team yeah. is fun. Space. It's, fun too. it's really enjoyable. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, you get Tamika and Lachete and Jess in a in a room and it's just fire all day. It's fire. You know, I think there's something to be said about a person coming into a chapter meeting, coming into a council, positioning themselves as the expert for an hour. Without, without someone to like carry the torch 
and like Mm. continue on that message and continue Mm -hmm. on that impact after that speaker leaves. And it's so interesting how you talk about that, because I feel like I, in the live work that I do, um, if that's speaking workshops, courses, whatever, it's how do we position a woman in the chapter, a woman in the community to be the expert and take ownership of this. So when I'm done, when you guys are done, there's someone that believes in this enough to have booked the speaker, scheduled the event, got people in the virtual room to continue that impact after the event is long gone. And I think it's so humbling. (laughs) It's so humbling for the women or the experts who have spent so much time cultivating experience to be presenting it, to pass that torch and be like, no, I want you to be the expert for your community. Because I know that the impact can be so much greater if it's not just me that has all the information. And so I love that you shared how your model differs because I, I think so often our community has become accustomed to, oh, we bring someone in because they're the expert. It's like, no, we bring someone in for their experience so they can equip more experts. Right. Right. So I, I really, really love that. That's yeah, I would, yeah, I would definitely add, I think even what I'm learning in the professional space is that folks are expecting somebody from the outside to come in and teach us. Whereas like, I would love to learn from people from the inside. Mm-hmm. I would love for my supervisor to be able to lead these sessions that we're paying folks to come and do. And so it's like really being able to invest in the person from the inside on out. <clears throat> I don't think we're really like seeing that as a point of strength. And I, I'm waiting for the day when like everybody university recognizes that equity work is very personal. Even if I train all of the, you know, um, leadership teams for a fraternity and sorority life or a group on campus, it's still very personal. They all still come with their personal experiences to whatever presentation that I'm doing. And if I'm not acknowledging that or giving people a space to learn and grow personally, I'm going to miss the mark in DEI work all the time, all the time. You'll just miss it. Um, But then we'll still put the ownership on students. And so it's like, do they have the position and the support to be able to learn and grow on campus? I think we need to grow that a little bit more because in some ways we've just, you know, added a price tag to diversity, equity, and inclusion work. And we haven't really added that personal touch to the point where a student can hear from me, know that it's personal, go and serve their chapter, and then also in the workforce when they leave, know that the work is still personal. Um, so I'm, I'm really waiting for the day when that happens <laughs> because oh, I think yeah investments and it'll, it'll just be beautiful. Yeah. And I, I haven't heard that said before, you know, I think mm-hmm. diversity and inclusion work is very prominent right now. It's a very, mm-hmm. it's a very big topic of conversation, but I haven't heard it phrased as personal. And I hope for women listening to this podcast today that they're able to take that and think about the commitments that maybe they made last June or July to be a part of the reconciliation and the improvement of inclusivity in their chapters. And think about how they can add a personal touch to that commitment with the individual sisters in their chapter, with their future sisters who are considering joining their sorority. I, I think that's a really cool call to action. Yeah, 
I, you know, I think, I think a lot of times in, in Panhellenic sorority land specifically, we like to adopt this notion of let's operationalize it, right? Let's, let, let's put a policy to it. Let's put a procedure to it. I am of the mindset that we need to change policy, like we need to change like uh, minds before we start to change hearts, right? So the way that we change minds is policy, procedure, all of these pieces. But here's what I will say. A lot of times I think in this conversation, the concept of people's real lived experiences gets lost. I mean, when, when we're talking about racial injustice, we're talking about people's lived experiences every day, right? So as much as we wanna put a 45 minute time frame on this and put it into a PowerPoint and make learning objectives and be really action oriented as it relates to some of those pieces, these are people's lived experiences. And I think just a, a lot of times when we approach this conversation, particularly with a group of people that is very operationalized and systems oriented, we have got to do a better job of helping people make meaning of how this exists in their own world, right? This work is way less about operational and collective morality and all of those things. What this is really rooted in is personal growth. How can I get you from where you are right now to where you wanna be? And even if that's a fraction of an inch, let's make it happen. But I think a lot of times, you know, when we're talking about some of these pieces, it becomes this notion of, you know, how are we talking about this? How are we talking about that? How are we going over some of these other pieces? And not necessarily focused on, this is happening in my chapter and I don't know how to address it. Like mm -hmm. in parallel land, we are practical AF. I don't know if I can say that, sorry. We, <laughs> we, are, we are so practical because that's what people want. That's what students want. And that is what a return on investment looks like. So I think, you know, when we, when we talk about this work, it's really important to invest in strategy. It's important to approach this from multiple ways. People think differently, people live the world differently, people learn differently. And what does it look like to approach this work in a way that addresses all of those things and elevates them to a level where people feel like, hey, I'm being heard, seen, and listened to. Yes. And yes, you can say that I uh, am not affiliated with any greater organization. So I feel like I have like the liberty to give them what they want to hear. Yes. All right, friends. So I have two quick answer questions for you. If you can make them quick answer questions as we close. And so each of you take a, a moment to think about them and then let me know what they are. The first is the biggest lesson you have learned from entrepreneurship in a pandemic, we've touched on it here and there, but one lesson, I'm sure you could give me a dozen, but one lesson you've learned from entrepreneurship in a pandemic and two, one piece of encouragement you have for a woman looking to explore their role in DEI work in their chapter. Okay, one lesson, because I was an entrepreneur before the pandemic, Customer service still matters. You can't blame the post office. I know that sounds really small, but like folks are like, I, I still need good customer service. So it still matters. And so really think about that and how you are working with the folks who are supporting you. It is very important as a small business. Um, the second thing um, as a DEI chair, keep the work personal. Stop. Sometimes we look at all of the concepts and the words and the terms and who can I bring in this week or next week? 
Um, and I hope that doesn't like limit parallel agencies business at all, but keep it personal, keep it very personal. It's your work. It is the work of you as an individual and you as your chapter and your entire organization um, to do, which makes it a lot larger than a 90 minute or 30 you know, minute session. So that's what I would say. Beautiful. I love both of those. Oh, what have I learned about entrepreneurship in a, in a global in a global pandemic, just period. I, I, I do have a lot of thoughts, but because we're on the microphone, I won't say them all. Um, but one that I will say that I think it's probably been the most pivotal for me is we over me. So as someone who is the founder and managing director of the of the org of the organization, you know, I think a lot of times I'm like, well, what do I need to do? What about me? Blah, 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 blah. But it's not just me. We have a team of like six talented, awesome, rock star, badass women on our team who just literally rock the house everywhere they go and with everything that they do. And, you know, it's been, it's been really great for me to kind of take a step back and say, you know, it's not about me, it's about we. So what's best for us? What's the direction that we want to go? Um, and being on this journey with five other human beings who are frankly fantastic has been excellent and have really helped me grow and learn as a, as a person. In terms of my tips for someone engaging in this work, so self-reflection. Self self-reflection is so key. Anytime I do like a webinar or listen to a podcast or something, I always take time and I build it into my schedule for between 15 and 30 minutes to reflect about whatever that was. Sometimes I just take notes on my phone. Sometimes I'll record myself on my phone talking so I can listen to myself later. Shout out to Lasha Tay Grayson for that. She's real, real good at that and has helped me really process. But when I think about some of those things, I think, you know, reflection is so, so vital because you can listen to 500 things and not think about them again. But if you make time in your schedule to reflect and also to learn, um, I think that you will consistently be feeding your energy and your soul and your mind with the things that you need to in order to advance the way that you think about some of these things. So those would be my, my two pieces. Um, I don't know that I've ever thought about the entrepreneur one. So I'm glad that, that you asked that. I feel like I yeah. can look on that. Oh <laughs> yeah. You know, her sorority journey launched the week of lockdown. So we, we launched March 19th of last year. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, it's something I think about a lot about my company, not existing outside the cloud of the pandemic and mm -hmm. the impact that's had on my perspective on the resources sorority women need. And so I always think it's interesting when I cross paths with other women who are engaging in, I don't know, they're being bold about their passions in a time that's not convenient. I want to hear about what that's been like for them. Uh, so that and obviously I always love to encourage the women we have listen because they've taken time out of their day to grow in their sorority by tuning in. So thank you both so much for not only your insight into this work, but also your vulnerability into why it matters to you. We will link the website where you can find the parallel agency in our show notes, but thank you both so much. You all are rock stars and very, very thankful that you are now my sisters too, and an extension of the Her Sorority Journey community. Thanks, Tessie. How cool are my new friends, Tamika and Nikki? I have loved growing a relationship with them and just felt so inspired by their heart for the work that they're doing and their approach. 
both of these women were unbelievably humble with while being such a wealth of knowledge and expertise and vision for how our communities can really grow through better embracing diversity, inclusion, and seeking equity to truly be equitable in our organizations. I want you to think about what really stuck, stood out to you about this episode. For me, it was Tamika sharing that DEI work should be personal. This isn't some operational checklist that we're following to meet some criteria for our organization. These are real lived experiences. I really needed to be reminded that this is not a hot topic that we are addressing because it's because people are watching. This is something we need this is something I genuinely care about because the women who have lived an experience that doesn't reflect the inclusive sisterhood that I felt I was a part of needs to be addressed. I also really appreciated hearing their humility in moments that they learned the hard way. They learned through asking questions, through putting them, their, themselves out there, through saying, I don't know. As women, I know we want to know what we're talking about. I know as sorority women, we're typically very driven to be experts about the things that we're talking about. I want to challenge you to humble yourself wherever you're at, to start asking questions and start sharing the areas that you just don't know and seeking, challenging yourself to grow in that area that you've realized you lack understanding. I am so thankful for every single one of you that tuned in today. The women who are engaged in the Her Sorority Journey community, I know are unafraid of hard conversations. And so I encourage you to be an ambassador in your chapter or your community in the upcoming weeks to model the way of seeking information that you've come to understand you need and helping the women around you find what they don't know as well. Talk to you next week, sister. Thanks for tuning in to the Your Sorority Journey podcast this week. If this episode left you with any guidance or confidence to navigate your sorority membership, we would love to hear from you. Share a screenshot of this episode on your Instagram story and tag Her Sorority Journey so we can know what resonated with you. Also, be sure to leave a review wherever you listen so more sister friends can find this guidance just like you. Here for you always, sister. 